Hello ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Stand Up Tragedy podcast. My name's Dave and I'm your host, and here at Stand Up Tragedy, what we do is we get performers to come and do some tragedy, both live on stage and going out as recordings on our podcast. Today, we're going to showcase some of the Stand Up Tragedy team, because many of the people who make Stand Up Tragedy also get up on the stage and perform some live tragedy with us. Andy Bodel is a sub-editor by day, but at Stand Up Tragedy, he does our press. And if that wasn't enough, he's also a regular true storyteller. For Stand Up Tragedy at the Fiddler's Elbow in Edinburgh, he stood up on stage and told us about his experience appearing on the TV show Countdown and what it really meant to him. But first, here's a song performed by Harv, who basically is our tech guru. He texts the nights, he records the stuff on the stages, he mixes it down, and he also covers the website stuff for us at the moment, and he's basically a solid rock at the heart of stand-up tragedy. And here's a song that he wrote himself. So, um, the next song's about falling into a kind of old habit and waking up a couple of months later to find you've quit your job and got a load of payday loans, which is fun. <laughs> we play this game over and over Cost me years of wasted effort But it all comes back when I feel that hit And tonight I don't really care Just this one time I promise you And it feels like home And dear God I've missed this But I've been there once I don't want to go back It left me broke It almost destroyed me I wake up late Not much older but five grand for a kick off Walk out You can stick this job right up your ass No cash and no job Just bailiff's bills and threatening letters But doubt in time to stop the slide and get out No, now that this mistake could cost me all this wasted effort But I And I know now that this mistake could cost me years of wasted effort. It all 
comes back when I feel the head. And this time I don't really care. Just this one line, I promise you. And it feels like home. And dear God, I've missed this. But I've been there once. I don't want to go back. It left me broken. It almost claimed my mind. And uh, one more. And now, here's Andy's tragic true tale. Hello, welcome to Stand Up Tragedy Special Grandmother Edition, apparently. <laughs> uh, when I was a boy, uh, twice a year, we'd make, take the 70 mile down, uh, trip down the M4 to visit my dad's parents. Now, I used to love going to see Nana Grandad, because uh, when I turned up, they'd always take me to the nearest toy shop and buy me a toy car. They'd always cook me a roast dinner, no matter what day of the week it was. And they'd always offer me three different kinds of puddings. Uh, trifle, jelly and ice cream, or Arctic roll, and I'd always have all three. <laughs> but best of all, my nan used to sit me down and play a game with me. Now, this game was called Words Out of Words. Uh, it's a very simple game. Essentially, you just open a dictionary at a random page, put your finger down, and then you take the letters in that word, and you've got one minute to make as many smaller words as you can by rearranging the letters. So it's, I think a lot of newspapers do a similar thing. Anyway, this nan was... Um, had a very high verbal IQ, and uh, she wasn't the type of man that believed in treating kids with kid gloves, so she just used to thrash me every single game. Um, and, uh, but somehow, I always wanted to play again. Now, my other nan, my mum's mum, uh, lived just down the road from us uh, in a little village just outside Swindon. She would come up every Friday for games of gin rummy and contract whist. Um, she used to take me down the high street, uh, up the street, she would call it, the local shops, and she'd give me 50p to buy a comic and some sweets. And because she lived on the way home from school, sometimes I'd stop in and we'd play Countdown together. Now, is anyone here not familiar with Countdown? Countdown, okay, right, just for your benefit, sir. Uh, it's a... <laughs> Countdown is a daily TV quiz show. Where are you from, by the way? England! Really? <laughs> okay, it's been running for 31 years. I think you're very short of life. Okay, right. Um, anyway, it's basically a words and numbers game. It used to be presented by Richard Whiteley and Carol Vorderman uh, until Richard sadly passed away. Um, and essentially, there are three rounds. Uh, the first round is a letters game, where you get nine letters, and you have to rearrange the letters to make the longest word that you can. So a bit like the, the, the game I used to play with my nan. The second round is a numbers game. And then you get five, six small numbers, and we have to add them and multiply them to make a larger one. And finally, there's the conundrum, which is a nine-letter anagram. Anyway, so this nan wasn't quite so good with, uh, with, with, with the words and numbers, but she used to love playing along. She'd get a pen and paper, and, um, and after a while, I did too. So, um, anyway, in 1986, uh, when I was 16, towards the end, my uh, dad's mum got cancer. And although she was a very strong woman, it was a very virulent form of cancer, so, and it soon became apparent that she wasn't going to be with us for very long. So I drove down to see her for the last time. And uh, I arrived there, she was looking very ill, very pale, could, couldn't really speak, couldn't really move. Um, but I gave her all my news. I told her that I'd just passed my driving test. Uh, I told her that I'd just been given a place, a really nice, really good university. And I introduced her to my first ever proper girlfriend. So um, she smiled, the broadest smile she'd ever smiled. And, and it was really sweet. And the following week, she died. So I went to university. And when I came out, uh, it was 1992. And uh, you're probably aware we're in the middle of a rather big recession at the moment. But 1992 was the second biggest. <coughs> 
Um, I think I applied for 174 jobs and didn't get an interview. So six months after leaving university, I'm back at my parents' house, smoking fags furtively out of my bedroom window and working in the local pub to pay off my student debt. Uh, so my daily routine went something like get up, go for a run, come, uh, work the lunchtime shift in the pub, come back, put the kettle on and then sit down in front of the telly. Just in time, as it turned out, for countdown. So I started playing along again, and um, after a couple of weeks, I noticed that um, I was doing quite well. I was sort of, not all the time, but I was quite often beating both of the contestants. So this put an idea into my head. Like, I was quite good at this game. Uh, quite wanted to be on the telly. And uh, it wouldn't be any trouble getting time off work. So, um, so I applied, and much to my surprise, after an audition in a freezing hotel in Oxford on Christmas Eve, they accepted me. So three months later, I hop on the train to Leeds uh, to make my television debut. Um, and I was shitting myself. I was so scared because I, I, I wasn't very good. I'm still not very good on stage, evidently. But, um, but back then, you can imagine, 23-year-old me, uh, shaking. Um, and the production team tried to calm me down. Richard Whiteley came over, gave me a hug. But that, that kind of had the opposite effect to the one required. Anyway, so but as the lights came down, I'm still like, shaking a bit. And then my opponent for the first game um, leans over to me and whispers, I got the second highest score in the series in the last game. So it's this really kindly looking mid woman in her mid fifties, glasses and everything. She was like psyching me. Um, well, that wasn't enough. And then she leaned over and said, and I beat Dictionary Corner. Which essentially means for your benefit. So like, she, she came up with a word that was better than the experts. They get experts in to find the best word. So much for the friendly, good-natured parlour game. So, uh, but, and she was really good, and uh, the first game was, uh, the game was really, really close, and it, uh, coming up to the last round, I was three points behind, only the conundrum to go. Um, the letters turned around, life grown came up. Both of our hands flashed out to the buzzers. I think I must have beaten her by a fraction of a second, if you look at the, the replays, it's like, oh, it's too close to call. But anyway, my buzzer flashed. Um, Flowering, I shouted out. <laughs> I'd done it, I was through to the next game. Um, and then, thank God, I relaxed a bit and I uh, won the second game by 31 points and the third one by 24 points. And then I started getting cocky. <laughs> then I started sort of coming out with words like apaloons and uh, serially and uh, other quite hard words to get. And I should demonstrate really, but I don't have any letters. <laughs> uh, so then I only needed to win a couple more games to be guaranteed a place in the finals. But then, of course, when I got cocky, I tried even sillier words, and they didn't exist, and I lost. <laughs> Fortunately, um, one of the team came over, did, did some calculations, and said, you'll probably make it into the finals anyway. And I did. I made it in the seventh seed out of eight. So, um, right, at this point, I, I noticed that a pattern had begun emerging in my life. Leiden Jubilee Sports Day, 1977, second. Swindon Battle of the Bands competition, 1987, second. French degree, Oxford University, 1992, second. <laughs> this time, I decided things were going to be different. I was going to win this thing. I was going to win it for the glory, for the undoubted sexual opportunities that winning Channel 4's <laughs> game show would confer. But most of all, I was going to win it for my nans. So I packed in my job at the pub. I stopped applying for jobs. And instead, I just religiously played and replayed every episode of Countdown. I bought the Countdown puzzle magazine and all the back issues and did every single puzzle. I bought an anagram finder and memorised the 6,000 nine-letter words. <laughs> I 
the number no, the numbers game was quite a weak part of my game. So uh, I got a friend to uh, a geeky friend to write a program that simulated the numbers game on my computer, and I played it fifty times a day. And I started and I started reading the dictionary on the tube, which just earned me a few funny looks. Um, so anyway, three months later, I was as ready as I could be, and um, and it worked. My training paid off. I was on fire. Quarter final against the seven seed, twenty five points. Semi-final, a bit closer, but still a very comfortable winner. Um, but just before the semi-final, I asked Richard if it was okay if I could say a few words. He said, sure. So um, before the game started, I said, um, I just said a few words about my two nans, basically. I said it, it was them that got me into word games, and if it wasn't, wasn't for them, then I, I wouldn't be there. Generally, some nice R's from the audience. Aww. What a lovely grandson I am. Um, so yes, I won the semi-final, and then, right, that's it. Just the final left. Now, normally, you would expect uh, me to be the overwhelming audience favourite for this final because a uh, passably handsome young man um, comes out with twice silly words, banters with Richard and Carol, um, gallant underdog, because I was the seventh seed and my opponent was the first seed. Uh, unfortunately, my opponent, well, I'm going to show you actually, I hope there's not too many of you. My opponent was an even younger and handsomer man. situation really so it's like if I beat him everyone would be like congratulations on beating an 11 year old <laughs> and if I lost I was going to be a laughing stock for the rest of my life even though he'd steamrolled everyone before him um, still I knew which of the two outcomes I preferred um, and actually in the end it wasn't much of a contest I think his nerves got to him and um, after four rounds I was about 24 points ahead and he never caught up so uh, as the lights were dying down I was trying not to do a little dance um, I, heard, I heard his little voice piping up. Dad, what does pleurisy mean? Bless him. Anyway, so I went straight to the phone, straight to the phone, rang my parents, told them the news, and then I rang my nan. Oh, my surviving nan, obviously. Uh, <laughs> um, called her, and I, I, I told her, Nan, I've won countdown. She went, yes, I know. You're going to be in the finals. I said, no, nan, I've won the finals. Don't be silly, they're not on for three months. And she hung up. <laughs> so I didn't really have the heart to explain to her. Um, but anyway, three months later, when they were actually transmitted, um, she was the toast of the village. She was total. She loved it. She went up the street, down to the local shops, and spent all day boasting to her friends and anyone else who would listen about her. Her grandson was the champion of countdown. And then that night, that same night, um, in the middle of a rainstorm, she had a heart attack and died. Um, so at her funeral, a few days later, I don't know if it was the excitement or if she was just due to go then anyway, but so at least she kind of went out happy. Um, at her funeral, a few days later, uh, my mum took me to one side in the, in the Garden of Remembrance and she said, um, what was your nan's name? I said, what, are you testing me at her funeral? <laughs> uh, okay, it was Rose Martin. Why, why, why are you saying that? She said, well, yeah, but what was the final conundrum in your, in your countdown game? And I couldn't believe I hadn't noticed it myself. Um, the final conundrum had been the word rainstorm, but it 
they've rearranged the letters to spell out um, Martin Ross, which was her name. Anyway, spooky. Um, that's my story. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. <laughs>
Hello, I'm Rob Wells. Hi, uh, we do a show together called Domestic Science. Uh, we are a real-life couple, and we're doing a show together, so that brings its own elements of uh, comic tragedy to our relationship. Uh, we do a show called Domestic Science because we cannot stop doing domestic science. That's like real science in uh, normal situations. So, um, for instance, we have to cook three dinners. We have to cook one each and then a control dinner uh, to make sure we absolutely got it right. Uh, we've had not any big tragedies happening so far with this fringe um, if you want to come back and see us on the last day of August uh, you, we may be able to tell the story of the breakdown of our relationship it's a long month it's, yes. a long month. it's a very long month but until then we've only had a few minor things uh, going a little bit wrong um, we started off the fringe hoping to bake a 12 inch sponge cake every single day of the fringe so we could do our science cake decorating competition which is a big part of the show um, after day two we opened an account at Greg's didn't work out for us. Um, Rob has a slightly tragic story as well. Mm. What's your tragic story? So at one point during the show, I get to dress as a massive bee, uh, complete with uh, leggings from Primark. The man at Primark assured me I was a size 12. I think he was being rather generous and flattering. I'm probably more of a 14 or 16, I think. Uh, but uh, one day at the show, I actually forgot to wear the leggings and only realized when our first guest was on eight minutes before I had to... Uh, appear as a bee uh, so we decided to go uh, leg, uh, leggingless yeah. leggingless um, you know bees have very very hairy legs yeah. uh, it, it was actually more accurate as a bee than it has been for the entire fringe but it it, it was very disturbing for the front row yes it yeah. does it does look like a massive bee nappy costume yeah. without any underlying leggings on so and that the bee costume itself it's it's not very sort of constraining so Rob actually does a dance as part of the show. He does the bee waggle dance, the very famous bee waggle dance that bees use to communicate where they can find great pollen. And um, let me say there was, there was a lot more waggling than normal mm. in that show. Uh, the front row have uh, decided to ask for money for counselling. Yeah. Is the Fringe a good place to share funny ideas as well as yeah, like funny ideas to do with science, teach people something new? Absolutely. We would not be doing this show if it wasn't for the free fringe. Specifically the free fringe, not just the fringe, because we have these lovely ideas that are very lo-fi, very DIY, and I don't think they would fit into the programme of one of the big four paid venues. This way we get to come along, have some fun, and people just enjoy the show for what it is. We don't have to turn it into some huge, extravagant, expensive production. It, it just is an absolute joy to do, and the audience really enjoy it too. I have enjoyed myself. It's, uh, I think the Free Fringe is a fantastic place to come and not just experiment, but I think that there are more shows here now which would have been gone to paid venues before, but have now chosen to be on the Free Fringe because it's just a better place to put on a show often. So that's all the tragedy we have for you today. Remember that tragedy is best shared and for now, the tragedy is over. This podcast was produced by Bryony Hawkins with audio production from Stephen Harvey. The music comes from Sam Wilkinson. 
who you can email at radio one at gmail.com. The rest of the music was produced by George Brufton, written by the Reactionaries with added bagpipes from Vaughan Granding. I'm Dave, I'm your host, and the tragedy is once again over. It's time to go. go.